The following is a presentation from the MJ Cast, the internet's premier podcast on all things Michael Jackson. You're listening to the MJ Cast by MJ fans or MJ fans. The idea is to uh, innovate, or else why, why am I doing it? When I create my music, I feel like an instrument of nature. You let it create itself, really. I know I do. And I love to entertain. That's that's one of my favorite things. Welcome to the MJ Cast, your source of news and discussion on the King of Pop. Welcome to a special episode of the MJ Cast. Today's air date is June 25, 2015. I'm Jamin Bull, and we are very honored to remember Michael today with a very special guest. This show has always been for the fans and by the fans, and today is no different. We are also joined by our regular host, Q, and I'll let him start the introduction. Hi, everyone. I'm Q, and it's always a pleasure to be here with you. Uh, today's show marks a very significant and difficult anniversary for us as Michael Jackson fans. For most of us, the day we lost our king probably makes the list for worst days of our lives. This isn't a day we look forward to, nor celebrate, but a day we honour the greatest artist whom ever lived, an inspiration to us all, a man we loved as friend and family, our king forever, Michael Jackson. We want to, of course, honour Michael in this episode, and some sad memories might be discussed and brought up, but we also want to be able to smile, laugh, remember his greatness and impact on us and others. Today we are incredibly blessed and so grateful to have a special guest who loved Michael as a fan just like us. Darren Hayes. In a career that spans two decades, it's hard to know where to begin an introduction. So let's work backwards. Currently living in Los Angeles, Darren studies improv sketch comedy at renowned improv school, The Groundlings. Together with the hairy ball of man, Tim Stanton, Darren is a co-host of the hilarious, entertaining, offensive, nerdy, locker room inappropriate comedy podcast, the He Said, He Said Show. Singer, songwriter and performer Darren Hayes has released four solo albums, a collaboration album with Robert Connolly and two albums and a greatest hits album as lead singer and songwriter of pop duo Savage Garden. Having sold over 30 million albums globally, Darren has worked with industry names and luminaries including Walter Afanasieff, Rick Knowles, Mark Spike Stent, Marius DeFries, Brian West, Robert Orton, Robert Conley, and the late Luciano Pavarotti. Multiple world tours and performances include sold-out shows at London's Royal Albert Hall, New York's Radio City Music Hall, the Sydney Opera House, and the closing ceremony of the Sydney 2000 Olympics. Ladies and gentlemen, say hi to Darren Hayes. Hey, I was just saying before we uh, started recording, I'm a big fan of the show and the fact that you guys are uh, Michael fans means that I instantly love you. So thanks for having me. Our pleasure. Thank you so much for uh, taking time with us. Yeah, it's so it's so great. We're just totally honoured to have you here, Darren. We're both huge fans of uh, of you as well. It's just a, a complete honour. <laughs> it's, a, it's a strange thing, isn't it? The Michael sort of uh, family, really, because... I'm a Brisbane boy, so I was born in Brisbane, but 
one of my favorite ever Michael Jackson memories was actually standing outside of, uh, I think the hotel was back then was called the Beaufort Heritage Hotel. And it was for the uh, History World Tour. And uh, at that time, I was having number ones in Savage Garden. I was, I hate the word, but I, I guess I was famous. And I was driving down the street and I saw all the Michael fans out the front of the hotel. And I stopped the car. I jumped out and I just waited in line with all of those kids. And we sat there for maybe two or three hours. Michael's flight was diverted, so he never actually came to Brisbane that evening. There was a bad storm. But those three hours that I spent in line with, with Michael fans, you know, I made some amazing friends and had some incredible conversations. And it just it reminds me a lot of how I feel about the Star Wars community. It really is a family and a community of people. And the common thing is just love. It's, it's, it's a really cool thing. Oh, totally. Just couldn't agree more. And uh, being a, a Brisbane guy myself, I, <laughs> I mean, I was, I was a little bit too young, actually, to see the History World Tour when it came to Brisbane. But uh, that sounds incredible. Did you go to that show? or? I did indeed. I mean, my favorite Michael tour ever, uh, and I hate to rub it in, but it was the Bad World Tour. And uh, I know it's a bit of a legend for some of the younger Michael fans because the wonderful thing about the Bad World Tour, it was Michael's first ever solo tour. He was on fire. And through a, an act of fate, um, Australia was the one place in the world where he wasn't selling as many tickets as he should have. So it was moved from a stadium to the Brisbane Entertainment Centre. And I was very poor at the time. I had the cheapest ticket at the very back of the stadium, but they moved it to the Brisbane Entertainment Centre. And uh, I, we had to exchange our tickets randomly. And we were given seats maybe 10 rows from the front. And that is the reason I'm a performer today. I, I saw that show. I could barely breathe. I just could not believe I was so close to this legend. You can find it. If you go, <laughs> if you go to YouTube and look up Michael Jackson, Bad Tour, Brisbane Entertainment Center, you'll see a very young Darren Hayes in the first 10 seconds. I'm in the front row screaming, I love you, Michael. Oh. I'll be looking for that. <laughs> we'll find it and put it in the show notes. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, that is so cool. I remember you talking about that show actually on the Talk, Talk, Talk uh, podcast that you used to do. Incredible. Yeah, he was, he was on fire and, the, you know, the audience was just electric and, uh, you know, he's, he's always been on fire. But it was, I felt very privileged, I think, to see, I think I once described it as looking into the eye of a hurricane, you know, when he looked at you in the eye. And you, I just to this day, I can't believe I got to stand so close to such a legend. Uh, I still don't think we've ever had a performer who does even scratches the surface of what he does live. And you know, I'm a big fan of lots of people, so that's a huge compliment. But he's a legend. I'm going to stop interrupting you. <laughs> no, no, that's okay. Not a problem at all. Uh, it was cool to hear you talk before as well, just about about Star Wars. Q and I are actually massive uh, sci-fi geeks as well. And I I've got to ask you, Darren, just how big is your Star Wars collection? Well, this is really interesting. It's probably not as large as people would assume because I'm very specific. I only collected, and, and it's in the past tense because I have them all now, I only collected the original Kenner figurines from 1977 to 1985. Oh. So it was the, yeah, it was the period when I was a child and I couldn't afford to buy the toys. So they were objects of, of uh, affection. And uh, when I first started to make some money as an adult, they were the first things I bought. 
but it's a it's a pristine collection. They are they're in a cabinet under UV glass. I mean, it's hilarious. I'm such a nerd, <laughs> uh, and I've got and then I just collect other little things, you know that 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 mean something to me. Trading cards or t-shirts. I, I love vintage things more more than anything. I, I have an arcade machine too. I have a um, the Atari stand up. Um, Star Wars game that came out in 19... I think it came out in 1980, and I have one of those too. Wow. That's awesome. Another Star Wars question. Do you think they should put a little Captain EO cameo in the background somewhere of the new Star Wars film? <laughs> well, I love Captain EO, but no. I'm not a huge <laughs> fan of... I didn't. I love E.T., and I didn't like that they put E.T. in the in the prequels. But I'm a purist, you know... I love Captain EO so much. Living in LA, I've been lucky that uh, through several times in my career, I, I was able to see it when it was at Disneyland. And I think it's just been taken down again now. But obviously, after Michael's passing, they brought it back for a long time. And well, this is going to sound really sappy, but it was very, very emotional after Michael had passed to see him in 3D because the photography in that film was so brilliant. And obviously George Lucas, Star Wars, Steven Spielberg, they were all involved. But when you saw Michael first emerge, you could see every pore on his skin. And uh, it was really sad, actually. Like, I love that film so much. And I felt really glad that I got to see it again in, in 3D. Yeah, I got to see it in LA not long after it got re-released. And then I've also seen it in Paris and Tokyo parks. And yeah, it's a glorious a celebration of the 80s and Michael. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's very surreal, isn't it, to see him because it's the most, apart from seeing him in concert, it really, I know the technology isn't great now, but it was it was uh, surreal to see him that close. And uh, I guess it just, you know, as a fan, it just made me feel angry that uh, he, he he went too soon. But I will, I'll, uh, I'll chirp up. Here we go. <laughs> Q, uh, Q, I think it's time... Uh, for our listeners, you admit who your two biggest dream guests were for the MJ cast. Oh, you're a bugger, Jamin. <laughs> <laughs> Back when we first were planning and dreaming about the MJ cast, actually my top two guests that I would have dreamed to get on were actually Darren Hayes to talk about your song Glorious and Michael Awesomeness that uh -huh. we're doing right uh -huh. now and Latoya Jackson because I just think she would be so fun and hilarious and awesome to talk to. So I, we're halfway wish, there. We've got to chase him down, Latoya. <laughs> I wish that you could see my face. Well, no, I don't actually because I've I've just jumped out of the shower. But uh, um, I, that was very kind. I I, um, I mean I am such a such a big fan, and uh, and I, I think I feel really lucky that I've had that experience to be on both sides of the fence. Someone like Michael grew up famous and grew up as a performer. And I didn't. I got to live a life. My my life was in two acts. And I'm so, so grateful for that because the first act of my life, I wasn't a performer. I wasn't famous. I was a fan. And, and I think that's why I feel so passionately about my own fans and about what I do because I understand how important it is. Um, when I wrote a letter to Michael <laughs> when I was 10 or 11, I meant every word of it. And, you know, some of the lessons that his music taught me, I was badly bullied as a kid. And I remember when Bad came out, you know, I'd walk home from school and I would imagine just transforming into MJ the next time <laughs> someone pushed me, 
Like, you know, and suddenly I was the coolest, baddest pop star on the planet. And I would like to think in some ways that a part of me becoming a performer, well, in many ways, uh, was because I, I was given that self-esteem from looking up to someone that I admired. I looked at Michael and all of the things that he had going against him. He was an African-American in a racist world. He was a sensitive male in a world that um, was very masculine. He was an African-American daring to make pop music in the same way that Elvis Presley dared to make soul music. He was, you know, he was very badly mocked and teased and, and tortured towards the end of his life. And yet he was always an inspiration. And that helped me so much in my life. So I can't imagine my life without Michael. I can't imagine my career. I Certainly we can talk about it later or now, but songs like Glorious or Blackout the Sun were real full circle moments for me as a, as a human being because um, suddenly I was still making music when the person who encouraged me to make music was no longer here. Absolutely. I've, I've got a question about what you're currently doing uh, and it's all about the He Said, He Said show with Tim Stanton. And I, and I kind of want to find out from you, it's, like, it's obviously a bit of a departure from what you've done in the past, uh, you know, with music and, and those kind of things. And, and I want to know how the show's going and how it came about and how do you get so many episodes out? <laughs> okay. Well, first of all, it's my joy. It really is. And the biggest thing for me my whole life has been that you have to do what makes you happy. Maybe I would say it's probably four years ago now I came off stage in London and honestly, I was really sad. I had, I had stopped getting joy from what the path that I was on. That has nothing to do with music. Music is 100% my soul. I can't imagine not singing. I sing every single day of my life. Uh, and it's only recently that I've started to think, oh, maybe I wouldn't mind writing a song. But I haven't had that feeling for a long time. And I tried to follow my bliss and... Before I got into music, I had uh, auditioned for and got into a, a, an acting school, a performance school in Brisbane. And I remember I turned it down because my girlfriend at the time didn't pass the audition. And I was such a gentleman that I thought, I'm going to turn it down for her. I'm going to just do some other life. And she broke up with me about three months later. So, so I kind of went on this whole other journey and, and became a musician and everything. But being funny is a huge part of who I am. And anyone who knows me, this is so serious for me, this interview, because I'm so serious about Michael. But the truth is that I'm a, I'm a goofball. I always have been. <laughs> you can so, totally be a goofball with us. And, and if you get drop a swear word, that's fine with us as well. So no, 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 no. I'm very, trust, <laughs> trust me, I'm very, very, I'm very aware of that. But thank you. But, um, you know, my husband is a director. He, he trained as a theatre director. And my, my concerts, my live shows had increasingly become more and more theatrical to the point that an album like um, This Delicate Thing We've Made was basically a concept album. It was basically a soundtrack to a musical. You know, it was a musical about going back in time to the 10-year-old me and saying, we need your help. Future you needs help. Like, come with us, you know. And it was a, there was a period in my life where I was more interested in the production and the theatricality of what I was doing than charts and being a celebrity and whatever. So it kind of just made sense. I moved to LA with my husband. He has been screenwriting and, and I went to the Groundlings Theatre, which is a school that a lot of the Saturday Night Live uh, performers have been chosen from. 
And it, it took me two years, but I finished their whole core track, which is very competitive. It's really hard to do. You you audition and then you go through every phase of the school. And I did that like like an average Joe. No one knew who I was. I got all the way through to now where I'm, you know, soon I'll be starting their writing lab, which is, again, it's one of the hardest things to get into. And that's where I met Tim. He had a podcast at the time that I thought was funny. It was It's called Look Hughes Talking, and it's the most specific podcast in the world. They just talk about John Hughes films. But he and my friend Anthony and I, we just clicked and I just realized I was so happy and and that's it really. I've been writing a lot of comedy, sketch comedy. We're working on uh, a few things, a pilot and a few things that are in the works that I can't really talk about. But all I can tell you is that it it makes me so happy and who knows what will, will come of it. I, I just... Uh, I feel like I've had 20 years of incredible experiences with music and I don't know, I feel like the world shifted. Something happened after the release of my last album and I'm not relating it to Michael, but he is one of maybe a, you know, a handful of things that I felt shifted in the music industry and it just wasn't the same for me anymore and I thought I'm going to jump off the ship for a little bit and, and see what happens. Before I get into the next question, I did see the um, How to Build a Time Machine tour in Perth, and that uh-huh. was an incredible show. I loved it. And your last, you. your last album, Secret Codes and Battleships, is a masterpiece. And Absolutely. Definitely some of your greatest work. But I'll quickly ask you a question about Michael. We'll, we'll ask yeah. you about that. Cause, uh, so what were your earliest memories of Michael Jackson? And if separate, Michael as an artist and then Michael as a person? Great questions. My first Michael memory is probably seeing Can You Feel It? Oh, yes. Yeah, and and it's interesting with Michael, isn't it? Because his music had always been there, I guess, in the soundtrack to to all of our lives. So I, I would have remembered songs like Ben and... Uh, I would have remembered uh, a lot of the Jackson songs, but he first connected to me visually. It was the Can You Feel It video, and I remember it coming out in a period when special effects and films like Star Wars and Close Encounters of the Third Kind were hugely uh, influential in the world, and it just stood above everything else. It just got my attention. He was like a superhero. That, That was my first thought. I thought he was magical. And as a musician, the first time Michael really caught my attention was obviously the, the Thriller album. Uh, I was, I'm just trying to think, I was 10 when uh, Billie Jean first came out. And I remember at my school, I had to do a dancing competition to win a ticket to see the Thriller video. And I won. And because, uh, again, we were poor, so the school was charging money to sit down and watch making Michael Jackson's thriller. It was a thing like you, you paid, I don't, I forget what it was like a dollar. And then over two lunch times, you could sit in this, this, the music room and you could watch making Michael Jackson's thriller. So that's the first time I ever saw the video and I couldn't afford to, to buy a ticket to it, but they gave away tickets for a dance competition and I won then. And that was it. It was love at first sight. I would put on my own versions of the, the video. I would, make my own costumes. I, I got old. Uh, I was obsessed with zombies because Michael was, so I would take old clothing from like the St. Vincent de Paul's, which is like the thrift store if Americans are listening. And uh, I would age them just the way that 
the special effects team did. I'd bury them in the backyard. I'd put them in mud. <laughs> I, I cast um, the only black girl in my school was so beautiful. Her name was Tammy Louie. And I cast her as Ola Ray and I was Michael. <laughs> so that was, you know, that was 1982, 83. And uh, my memories of Michael as a human being, again, and I know that Michael wasn't gay, but what Michael was was completely fluid with his sexuality, fluid with his masculinity, fluid with his humanity. He was raceless. He was ageless. Well before his appearance changed, he already projected that to me. Something in me that was a, a young kid who came from a you know, I love my family, but my, upgr- my upbringing was very similar to Michael's. I had a very violent father and, a, and an alcoholic father. And uh, there was a lot of domestic violence in my family. And I didn't realize it, but I was gay. And I, I didn't know, I didn't have a word for that. But I knew that I was different. And when I looked at Michael, I just saw somebody who was a human. He was almost genderless. He was almost uh, alien to me in a in a great way. And and I think that was the biggest thing, his connection to animals, his his connection to, you know, he had such a soft soul and yet he was such a ferocious performer, that juxtaposition between the hurricane that he is when he, if you look at the black and white video and when he becomes a, a, a panther, that is, a, that is one half of that man's soul. But the other half was, really was like a child, was like a an innocent uh an innocent animal. And that appealed to me. I think children appreciated that children connected to him in that way. And then I think that women, I mean, my sister was in love with him. I never saw Michael in that sexual way, but when a video like uh, the way you make me feel came out, my sister who is, you know, she was into rock music. She didn't even like Michael's, Michael's music at all, but she still says that's one of the sexiest men she's ever seen in her life was Michael in that video. So he just possessed all of these great qualities that let me as a young kid think I didn't have to define myself. You know, I could be the the best that I, that I wanted to be. That's an incredible answer. The insight is just amazing. And I can identify with a lot of it myself. Um, I actually grew up in Toowoomba when I was young, so not far from Brisbane, which is uh, Australia's largest country town. And I didn't finish high school there. We moved to Perth before uh, I finished high school. But growing up there, I had sort of started to realise I was different as well. And I think what you're saying about Michael, he's so universal. And yeah, I was never attracted to him sexually, but he was such a confident man in who he was that it gave kids growing up that are different or feel different a confidence as well. They didn't have to identify with things specifically, but the confidence in him that he radiated could be applied to absolutely anything and everything. And that helped me growing up and coming out as well. Totally. And and I think that's the thing about Michael was that he just had no judgments. And it was so strange for somebody who had no judgment to be so judged. And, you know, to a certain degree, he was a martyr and he didn't want to be, but you know, some of those comparisons, I'm not calling him Jesus, but some of those comparisons, it's a, it's a very age old sad fact about humanity is that we take one of us who is extraordinary and we put that person on a pedestal Mm. because we aspire to be them. But then 
whatever that wickedness is, I don't know what it is, and we all have it, you know, and it's a, it's a challenge when you're to be a good person to really acknowledge it but not act on it. But there is an impulse, I think, to tear down that which you love. And it was really hard, I think, uh, growing up and seeing that start to happen to Michael Jackson. And I think the thing that connects the fans so much is that, you know, we, we, we weren't good weather fans. We were there when he was the biggest star in the world and universally celebrated. And then we were there when he was the biggest star in the world and universally tortured. And the last few years of his life, I hate to say it, but it's true. The last few years of his life were incredibly cruel. And for somebody, it would take a superhuman, I think, to have withstood the amount of pressure that he did. And the fact that he did for so long, I think it goes to show what kind of person he was to have been raised in horrific conditions, you know, almost like a circus animal. And then his performance skills were beyond Olympic. I mean, he was, you would, you know, you have children who train their entire lives to perform one Olympic Games performance. And yet his his entire career was an endless Olympic Games. The positive that I'm trying to draw from this is that there's so much we can take in inspiration from a person like Michael Jackson in terms of what are you here to do? What, what can you achieve with your life? And I, to go back to me doing comedy and, and doing those things that I'm doing at the moment, I guess I, I view my time on this planet as not up to me. It's, it's, it's a finite period. I never know when it will end. But I know that there's a responsibility to be excellent, to be the best version of yourself that you can possibly be. And I don't think anyone could ever say that he wasn't that. Couldn't agree more. Absolutely. Darren, I've got a question for you that's a bit more of a, a serious nature, but I'd like to know from you... Um, how do you think Michael's music catalogue and his legacy have been handled posthumously since his passing? Well, my apologies to fans who feel differently, and this is something that comes up in the Star Wars community too, and I'm so down with it. I totally respect everyone's opinion, so this is just my opinion. But I very publicly feel strongly against the way the catalogue has been handled. It's so difficult for me being an artist because the idea that any of my my music, and I have lots and lots of music that has not been released, lots of it. Some of it isn't finished. Some of it I never want the world to hear. Some of it I might change my mind about one day. But today, in 2015, I don't want to release any of it. So if I were to pass away tomorrow, my family, my husband, it's even in my will, and I changed this after Michael's passing for this very reason, I changed my will to say that you do not have permission to do anything with my past catalogue if I've never released it. I fully support celebrating his music. There are so many things, like I would love to see a Blu-ray of the making of Michael Jackson's Thriller. I would love to see the Jackson's Victory Tour released in high quality. There are so many other wonderful pieces of film from the Bad Tour that have never been used. Like, I think what they put together... For Bad 25 was okay. Uh, I'm glad to have a copy of the, the Wembley tour. But in terms of unfinished songs, remixes, uh, dubious vocals, and I don't have to get into that now, but I think it's pretty clear that there was one album released that 
at least a third of it wasn't even Michael singing. I think it's an insult. You know, he's Mozart to me. He's, uh, you know, he's, he's Stanley Kubrick. He's, he's an auteur. He's an extraordinary legend. He's Michelangelo. I just think you would never take a Michelangelo painting. You wouldn't take a, a half-finished painting that Michelangelo had, had not even decided if he liked yet and just slap a few dances in a video and call it a single. <laughs> That's how I feel about it. I, I, you got to say this comes from love. I love him so much and we all know how much of a perfectionist he was. He was such a perfectionist and I, it just breaks my heart. Now, if you'd said to me, Teddy Riley and Quincy Jones are going to get together and they're going to take some of Michael's demos and they are going to lovingly do something maybe with Matt and, um, you know, just some of the people that we love that have been involved in, in Michael's legacy, maybe I'd feel differently, you know, but I, I the way it's been handled at the moment, I'm, I'm, I'm not a fan. I think uh, a lot of people out there are probably shaking their heads in agreement with a lot of points you raise. So don't feel like you're sticking your neck out too far. I think you're in a pretty similar company. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I totally get it. And the thing is, look, I, my fans are beautiful to me. They're so, so beautiful. And I, I experience a lot of, I wouldn't call it grief, but, you know, I, I, a lot of people complain to me that I'm not making music at the moment. And I know, I know it's a compliment. You know, I know that it's because the music means a lot to us, all of us, any of us who are fans. You know, the music is the soundtrack to our lives. And and I understand that. And I've had situations where my music has leaked without my permission and it was heartbreaking. But I had to see past the feeling of someone stealing it from me and view it that, you know, it's the ultimate compliment because somebody obviously loves you enough to go to those efforts. But I just sort of feel with, with, with Michael, you know, we can be greedy as fans too. Just we don't have to have everything. I just, part of me feels like I'll use the illusion of like uh, the Wizard of Oz. You know, I don't know if we always want to peek behind the curtain. Michael was the greatest magician. You know, he was an illusionist. And and some of those secrets I think were his. And And I include those secrets like, you know, you know, situations about his health or details about his passing or how he wrote songs or just details about his private life that he never shared with the world. I feel fiercely um, protective of those because he's not here to protect them anymore. You have a song called Glorious. It's a six-minute masterpiece on your 2011 double album, Secret Codes and Battleships. Can you tell us a bit about the song Glorious and if that's directly related as a as a, a result of like where you were and when you heard the news of Michael's passing I sure can it's uh it's 100% about Michael Jackson uh and the the story I'll try to make it short but I have another song called Black Out the Sun and what happened was I was in Stockholm in Sweden recording my album and I hadn't written uh Glorious yet but I was due to record Blackout the Sun. And the evening before I went into the studio, it was my sister who who texted me from Australia and she said, are you okay? And I didn't know what she was talking about. And then obviously my phone blew up and I, I put on the television and I saw the news. 
I think I was in shock. I was obviously very, very sad, but I was in shock. But the next day, it's so hard to talk about, but it's so true. The next day I, oh, I was walking to the studio in Stockholm and I can't remember, there was still snow and ice on the street. So it was kind of a strange, it was a strange, sad feeling anyway. And there were tabloid newspapers up everywhere I looked uh, about Michael's death. And I was, I was so sad and so angry and so confused. And I went into the studio and I, the biggest thought that I had was the man who taught me to sing, the man who literally is the reason I became a performer. I mean, the, we talked about it before, but that moment at the Brisbane Entertainment Centre when I'm standing in the crowd and want to be starting something, it, it kicks off and Michael walks out of the depths of that stage and stands there in in smoke I have goosebumps now remembering it because that was the moment that I said I want to do this for the rest of my life I want to make people feel like I feel right now so all of a sudden I was singing and he was gone I had a microphone in front of me he was gone I had an album coming out he was gone I was about to go on tour he was gone it didn't make sense. And so the vocal that you hear in Black Out the Sun, that's my reaction to him dying. It's a heartbreaking song. And if you look at the video, again, it's a lot like uh, Earth Song, my video. It's not an accident. It's a very subtle tip of my hat to Michael. I, that's a song about grief. and But I hadn't written my song for Michael, and it took me a while to process his death. I watched the... Uh, I watched Michael's wake, I guess you would call it. What would you call the, the ceremony? Oh, the, big, the memorial. Public memorial. Yeah. The memorial. Uh, and that's when I grieved, I think. I, I cried throughout the whole thing. I don't care. You know, my husband was amazing. He just left me alone. Just said, you, you just watch it. And it was, that's when I really accepted that he'd, he'd passed, I think. And writing Glorious was about that, that I wanted to freeze him in time. And I wanted to write a lyric that basically said that, you will always be perfect to me. You will always be young. You're never going to age. Like I, I, I needed to think of him as a, like a freeze frame in the middle of a spin. You know, I, when I say that to you, I think of, I think of something from probably like another part of me, the live video, you know, you're watching, literally watching a, a tiger that's been released from its cage. And that's how I remember him. That's what the song was about. And, yeah, I think that was sort of a, a, a important part of my – and people probably think it's crazy. I didn't know him. I never met him. I had opportunities to, but it just never happened. But I – you know, he was such a huge part of my life that I really did grieve him like a family member, and it took me uh, a long time watching – I still can't watch This Is It. You know, it's a very – it's very, very hard to watch what could have mm. been. Absolutely. You know? I, I used to be able to watch it. In fact, I saw it a bunch of times at the cinemas, but since kind of learning about the truth behind those rehearsals, I, I, it's part of me just, I don't know, I can't go back to it now. It's, it's so difficult yeah. to watch. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, I, I think that the positive, because I, I always try to turn this into a positive, and I know that this sounds quite glum, but there's not really a happy way to talk about the fact that Michael Jackson passed away. But the... the, the um, I think there's so many things about that film that are positive in terms of the reason I cry. I always cry when want to be starting something starts. Yeah. Because I've said this publicly, I, I can't deny it. I, I, 
I bought tickets to the tour in London, but I just had a feeling it wasn't going to happen. I just knew that he wasn't, I felt that he wasn't up for it. I felt that I'd seen some footage of him years beforehand uh, at the uh, uh, the 20th anniversary concert in Madison Square Gardens. Uh, I was there. It was right before September 11. And I saw Michael perform and I just felt like he was over it. It was a really sad moment to see him. Mm. I felt like I felt like he'd been ill advised is is what I would say. I felt like he had a lot of just uh leeches around him and people that were were giving him ill advice and and I just felt like maybe this tour wasn't going to happen. And you know, I felt ashamed actually when I saw this is it because I realized that I underestimated him and he totally could have done it, but I think my sadness about him even doing it came from the fact that I just felt like they tricked him into it. Mm. You know, I just, and the the footage that I'm talking about, if you can find it, there's some side stage footage of Michael doing Billie Jean. And look, who knows, who who knows what people think. Michael has said various things in different interviews, but I did, I did hear a quote from him once where he said he just didn't want to be like a performing animal. He didn't want to have to moonwalk if he didn't want to. And I, I relate to that, that feeling of feeling like people will just, you know, shake a tin at you and say, come on, perform for us. And I don't know, there was a sense of that for me that Michael was, was being viewed as a freak show. And I, I didn't want that to happen to him. But when I saw the start of want to be starting something, I thought, damn it, this, this would have been incredible. Um, and yeah. Yeah. It- it sure would have been. It's uh, it's really amazing to think about what Michael would have been able to do had he hit the stage again in London for This Is It uh, in 2009. What we might do now is play a bit of the song Glorious uh, from Darren Hayes' album Secret Codes and Battleships for our listeners to hear.
I adore that song. I still get teary when I hear it, and I think it is such a beautiful, beautiful tribute that captures, I think, for many of us exactly how we feel about the passing of Michael and how we remember him. That that song is available on the Secret Codes and Battleships double disc album. It's on the second disc of Secret Codes and Battleships. You can buy that at major music retailers and, of course, on iTunes. Darren, our next question is just around the songwriting process. How do you write a song? How does a song evolve for you? You know, I think the way I write songs is very similar to the way Michael did. Uh, it always comes to me first as a melody, and the melody can come to me anytime. Come comes in a dream, comes when I'm walking around. Walking is a great way for me to write songs, and if you listen to my music, a lot of it is a walking pace because that's what's happening in my life. I, <laughs> songs like Santa Monica or Hold Me, the Savage Garden song or uh, Black Out the Sun, you know, they're all walking tempo songs because often the melody will come to me then. Uh, but I, I I can write on my own. I'm very honest about the fact that I like my songs on my own, but I think I'm better when I'm with someone else. I love co-writing. So Robert Conley for a long period was someone that I co-wrote with a lot. And uh, often he would just have a little piece of music. It could be a drum beat. It could just be one sound. Uh, and he was a very generous uh, musician in that he was never threatened by the fact that sometimes I would just want to sit at the keyboard. You know, I could I could hear a chord, but maybe he wasn't playing the one I wanted. And he and, and also Daniel Jones, when I worked in Savage Garden, Daniel was wonderful at just almost being an interpreter. He would let me sit down to him and sing melodies and they would try to work out what the chords were underneath. So usually it starts from a melodic place. Very rarely do I have lyrics as poetry? Um, often I'll let the music tell me what it feels like and then it's, it, it, it tells a story. Uh, it changes, I think, per record. I, I had an album once called The Tension and the Spark and it was a very confessional record and so a lot of those songs on there started as as poems or they started as letters that I wanted to send people but could, couldn't bear to send so I decided to just release an album about them. Um, so I don't know, it, it, it happens in different ways, but if you listen to Michael talk to Molly Meldrum in the 60 Minutes interview from 1987, uh, he talks about it being like a heavenly process. And I, I know what he's talking about because it's almost like your brain is a, is a radio station between stations. And when you're tuning into artistry, and you guys do it when you put the show together. Anything creative, I think, is the same process. You almost have to get yourself out of the way and let God walk in the room. And that's kind of true, I think, for most most artistry. That's, that's sort of what happens. It comes to you. How do you reach a point as an artist, though, when you're actually able to give a project up for release? <laughs> I don't think you ever do. Okay. <laughs> it's 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 never finished. Uh, I don't listen to my albums after I've released them. I listen to them every minute up until the time, and I don't really listen to them again until I'm going on tour because it will drive me crazy. I hear one more thing I would change. I hear one more harmony I could add. I I second guess the songs that I put on there. I you know it's it's 
I'm taking someone else's quote here. I think you too said this, you know, an album is never released. It's, it's always abandoned or it's left. It's, it's taken screaming from, from your arms. I think Michael, Michael related to that. I think, yeah. you know, dangerous is a perfect example of that. And, you know, on a, on a funny note, I think that's why I feel the way I do about his music being released posthumously because to a certain degree, you know, would Michael have ever released these songs? I don't know. We, we don't know, but you know, there's, there's something cheeky and funny about the fact that, you know, when you're a perfectionist, uh, <laughs> you very rarely want to give it up. Absolutely. Oh, you know what's funny about that? We we just released another episode yesterday. Uh, it was our uh, Escape Origins special. We did an interview with Damien Shields, a good friend of ours, and he said exactly the same thing about his work. He said he could just keep writing forever. It just feels like abandoning his work. And, you know, he could always go back and keep editing or keep, changing little things about his work but at some point he has to give it up you know and I think <laughs> it's it's very true he said exactly the same thing he's a great guy I love Damien and he's one of the first MJ fans that I really went out of my way to connect with I didn't know him but I just just decided you're such a good guy and I he I was lucky enough to see very early versions of that book as he was writing it and I'm so glad he he wrote that book uh he man he's he's so smart and so dedicated to Michael Jackson and uh, it's a great book so I'm glad you spoke to him absolutely uh, Darren would you say is, is it fair when an artist's success is measured against their own work and success for example Michael Jackson's subsequent work being measured against Thriller and things like that uh, is it fair probably not does it happen of course it, it always will uh, in Michael's case uh, if you watch the Spike Lee film about bad it's it's. I believe that that was a curse for Michael. You know, Michael's. Uh, isn't that funny? You know, the thing that he created, the biggest selling album of all time, and and then that became this rod, this this sort of weight for him to carry. I was given great advice when Savage Garden ended, and it was by Willie Williams. Willie is. Uh, he's been my show director for my entire career, but he's most famous as being the guy who works for you too. He's done every U2 show since the first show in the back of a, a van all the way through to stadium tours. He's done things for Robbie Williams and like he's, he's Rolling Stones. Like he's, he's the greatest show designer in the world. And Willie just said to me, this is like a new career now. Now that the band has ended, you have to accept that it's possible you may never sell as many records again. You may never have another hit because there are so many other things involved timing, tastes, the, the, the world cycle of, of uh, fashion and music and trends, all of those things, when you have a success, they all conspire at the same time to make this one perfect moment. And I think that's how you have to view your career. Michael's one perfect moment was Moonwalk, the 19, what was it, 83 Motown 25 special. Mm. Watch that moment. That's when Thor or the universe or God <laughs> or whoever, somebody went, pow, this is it. He moonwalks, the whole world falls in love, and that was it. From that moment, everything was free fall. His entire career up until that point had already been extraordinarily successful, and then it went into hyperspace. It just exploded. 
And what we didn't realize at the time was there was no way to ever repeat that event because that was an extraordinary once in a lifetime, like the Big Bang. I mean, that was just an extraordinary moment. And I, I think I viewed my own career like that, that I had this, my own version of that, where I had a moment when the, for, for a second, the whole world went, yes, and 30 million people bought an album or bought albums of, of, of ours. And that changed my life forever. But I never expected it again. And I think that that freed me. That really, really allowed me. That's why I'm doing a podcast. It's why I'm, I'm talking to you today, because I'm open, always open to the opportunity to have another number one or to, to be that successful according to the, my, own, my own track record again. But man, if that was the bar that I had to judge myself for, I wouldn't have done anything in the last 15 years. Mm. Whereas in the last 15 years, I've, I've been extraordinarily lucky. I've been given so many opportunities and met so many wonderful artists and people and made videos and tours and costumes and artwork and you know, I've been given all these opportunities because I didn't give up. I just decided that this was this was the second act to my life. And that's the short answer. Mm. <laughs> what would you like Michael Jackson's legacy to be? You know, I think it's getting there. I think his legacy, sadly, the day after he died, if you were on... Um, the Walk of Fame, if you were around Hollywood, if you were in America, and I'm sure it happened in Australia too, all around the world, you couldn't go anywhere and not hear one of his songs. And what, what was extraordinary was that all of the bull disappeared. All the tabloids aspects, all of the controversy, all the judgments, the criticisms, everything. For one moment, they all stopped and everybody just remembered how extraordinary he was. And I think a lot of people felt guilty. I think there was a feeling of like, wow, we had him. You know, there's that famous Maya Angelou poem. Uh, do you know it? It's called We Had Him. Yeah, I think she read it at the, um, no, it was read for her at his memorial at the Staples Center, I'm pretty sure. That was the feeling, you know. Yeah. It's like, damn it, you know, look what you do. This is why you don't get good things anymore, world. Look what you did with what we gave you. Uh, it's a sad, sad realization to have. And, and, and I think that his legacy, I think a lot of the bull is dying down. I mean, there'll always be, you know, scumbags. That's the nature of fame. There's always going to be someone trying to get a dollar, someone trying to make a buck. But at the end of the day, I mean, come on, I think his, his music speaks for himself. I mean, the fact that no matter who, who you are, I don't know that there's a single musician working today that wouldn't quote him as an influence. Uh, the, the, the fact that we have music videos as a genre, it's, it's extraordinary. Like some of the live, you know, the combining live theater, which is what Michael did when he toured, you know, video screens, uh, you know, illusions, set pieces, dances, none of that existed before Michael in, in the pop lexicon. So I think that the, the legacy continues on i think it's uh i think it's in our dna what is next for darren hayes well uh tonight i'm about to go and perform improv with a bunch of friends uh that i met at the groundlings so i'm going to go on stage and i have no idea what i'm going to say or do the audience will t the audience will tell me w what location we're in 
I'll pick a character and words will fall out of my mouth. Uh, <laughs> and it's just, it's called comedy uh, sketch improv. Uh, you know, and, and I'm, I'm very uh, happy with uh, the He Said, He Said show. Our numbers every week continue to grow. And uh, more than anything, I laugh for an hour or sometimes an hour and a half every episode. Uh, if you know anything about me, I famously don't smile very much in pictures because I can't fake it, you know. Uh, but I laugh for all the time that I'm doing the podcast. I've got a bunch of things that I want to happen for sure. Uh, I mean, in the big, big grand scheme of my life, I would like to write a musical. Uh, that That's a big dream. But stepping back from there, all of these little things are on the journey to that, I think. Uh, there's a there's a web series that I've written. I can't talk about it much, but we're trying to uh, get it produced. So hopefully the next thing you see will be a comedic uh, web series that I've uh, co-written and, and uh, co-produced uh, that also stars Tim Stanton. So we'll see what happens. Sounds very exciting. I, I know I saw yesterday in the news that the two Savage Garden albums are being re-released in addition to the uh, greatest hits, which is very exciting. Yeah, uh, the in Australia, we were originally signed to an indie record company called Village Roadshow, which are obviously one of the biggest movie companies in the world, but they didn't have any artists. Uh, eventually, there's a band called Killing Heidi that they had, but at the time, we were their first signing. And so the rest of the world was, was signed to Sony Music, Columbia Records, Sony ATV, but at home in Australia, this little indie company had the rights, and those rights just returned to us. So we uh, have done a deal with Universal uh, Music Australia, uh, who are wonderful folk. And they've been, like we talked about, they've been very respectful and loving about our catalogue. We don't have plans to reform. And a lot of people have the record. So from our point of view, we wanted to do extraordinary things with the releases. So we, you know, we were very um, adamant that we wanted them to create, you know, bonus material that people wanted and one of those things was uh, She which is a demo that we Daniel and I wrote in 19 I think it was 1994 uh, but we, yeah the master tapes were found and they had to do a lot of work on them they had stretched and there was they decayed and uh, the uh, the studio uh, fairies basically just polished them up and, and did a mix of it but we haven't added a single thing to the song it's it's exactly as it was back then and yep all that stuff's coming out uh i think in june yeah i listened to uh she last night actually for the first time and i actually listened to the song uh on facebook before i read the attached like text to it and uh <laughs> I, I listened to it i was like this is amazing and then when i read that it was a demo <laughs> I, I read it was a demo and i was like no that can't be a demo that's too perfect it's- <laughs> <laughs> that's very kind it was fit- i don't know how long ago was that 20 years ago i don't know i can't do the math but it was <laughs> i mean i know because my voice has changed so much over the years and uh i won't i would criticize it for hours but it it was it was very sweet and it was a very uh it was a very hard decision actually to, to release it because i am such a perfectionist but um we just felt like it was time. It was it was nice. So yeah, thanks. It's hard to believe that. Yeah, it was twenty years ago, and time certainly flies. And we've had <laughs> incredible, incredible work from you since then as well. So we we just want to say from the bottom of our hearts, thank you so much for for joining us on this uh, anniversary of Michael's passing episode. It was absolute honour to have you 
uh, come and talk about Michael and uh, your career and the song Glorious. So thank you so much. Listen, I feel really honoured and honestly, it's it's been one of the most fun and sincere and deep interviews uh, that I've I've done. So you guys are doing a great job and I do want to thank you as a fan of Michael for having such uh, such a class act. It's a really great show. And uh, to all Michael Jackson fans, I mean, I am a fan and I, I hope, hope you guys know I'm always very reluctant because I never, ever, ever want to use Michael's legacy or anything about him to even promote myself. And so I'm always very respectful of that. And I appreciate that you let me come here as a fan and as someone that loves Michael and, and this community. So uh, it was a pleasure. And I just wish you continued luck. It's a great show and these are, these are early days. So uh, fingers crossed for even, even better results. Well, anytime you want to come back, we're more than willing to speak to you again. We've got a million more questions we could ask. Uh, of course, you've got your own uh, podcast at the moment, the He Said, He Said Show. Can you tell people where to find that? You can just find us on uh, on iTunes or you can – if you just follow me on Twitter at Darren Hayes, all the links are there. But uh, you don't have to trust me. I will – be careful what you wish for because uh, <laughs> if you ever do a – if you ever do a special on certain albums or tracks or whatever, I'm your bad man. I'm the, <laughs> I'm the, I'm the expert on that record. So bring me on in. But yeah, if folks want to listen, uh, it's the he said he said show. You can check it out on iTunes. Just go to podcasts or uh, follow me on Twitter at Darren Hayes or follow us. Uh, our Twitter is at he said show. Awesome. Thank you cool. so much. Hey guys, I really have to run. I've loved this so much, but. Um, Thank you for being so accommodating. And honestly, I'm more than happy to come back another time. So you just let me know whenever, okay? Our pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you, Darren. It's, it's been a real honor. Well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen, Darren Hayes. And what an honor that was to be able to speak to him. i having a total fanboy moment because I am a big fan and have huge respect for him and love his work and... Yeah, that was trippy getting to talk to him, wasn't it, Jamin? Oh, amazing. Absolutely incredible. Just all of the insights, you know, from him as an artist, uh, both on his own work and then Michael Jackson's as well. I just feel like totally honored that we could have him on the show. And like, just so cool geeking out as like a fan like us. Like, that was so cool. Like, because, <laughs> you know, we're just listeners, you know, we're fans. This is a show for fans, by fans, and he's a fan and he likes the show and he, we're just talking like fans. And I thought that was really cool. And yeah, it's cool to have that honesty as just like a fan because that's what we are and we just, that's how we all relate. And yeah, so speaking of fans, we did ask for uh, listener submissions for this episode. We thought that it was really important to hear from our listeners about today and their thoughts. And so what were the questions we asked the listeners to send in for their audio submissions? Well, one of them was about where people were and what they were doing when they heard about Michael Jackson's passing. And the second question was around how they feel, uh, or how we feel, I should say, Michael should be remembered. And uh, I think, you know, some of the reasons that we wanted the, the listeners to actually send in their audio sound bites and opinions 
uh, and thoughts and reflections around those topics is a lot to do with the fan community in general. I, I really feel like, and I don't know if you feel the same way, Q, but I, I really feel like the fan community is still moving through a healing process uh, and a reflective process. And we're, we're in general, I think we're all still processing what happened uh, on June 25th, 2009. And for a lot of us, I think it's something that we're going to remember for our entire lives and the pain will probably always be there in some kind of way or another but there's you know there's still a lot of um, unanswered questions about you know what happened uh, to Michael in that time and there's a lot of feelings and thoughts that kind of come to the surface in the fan community sometimes in you know the form of aggression but I think one thing that we can do as a community is 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 share our experiences from that time and although it can be a little bit painful as well i do feel like it's quite a healing process to hear other people's stories from that time and then also uh you know discussing the positives of michael's life and how he will be remembered in his legacy yeah i think that's important we can like come together by focusing on the positive on his passions and through that we can unite and heal. And I totally agree that, yeah, we, we are still going through this. We, you know, if you just, if you are just a recent fan, maybe you're a fan after Michael passed for us at that time that were huge Michael fans, you need to understand we were sitting on the front of a high speed bullet train throttling towards the concerts of this is it. We were counting down, basically, we were literally counting down the days to the shows because a number of us, a lot of us, were probably going to go to London and see shows. I had tickets to four shows and I was counting down the days. My flights were booked, accommodation was booked, people organizing to see people while over there. We were counting down the days. We were on a train, full throttle, full steam ahead, and then it just exploded. It was it hit a wall and everything was completely destroyed. Mm. And from to go from that full speed ahead to hitting a solid immovable wall of his passing is like horrendously shocking. Like there was no lead up to this at all, really. From from what we could see at the time, there was no lead up or warnings about this. Absolutely. A lot of what we know was happening at the time now behind the scenes in those weeks was actually hidden. We didn't know at the time that Michael was being treated in the way he was by his concert promoters. You know, we didn't know that he was in health, dire health, had dire health problems. You know, there was a core group of fans in LA that knew that. We know now that were around him, seeing him, that were trying to shout their concerns. And Uh, when we heard those rumours, we sort of dismissed them. We, mm. we did at the time. There were like a few rumors here and there, but we, we did sort of dismiss them because what we were being shown and what was being portrayed was completely opposite. And we're like, no, well, look, they're showing us this. So we're going to believe this when in, in the fact of the matter was those rumors were accurate and we dismissed them, oh. which was wrong of us. And that's how we got sucked in. Remember those videos they were putting out? Remember like the dancer audition documentary yep. video they put out and we were so excited that he had curly hair again the curls are back like the internet erupted when that photo came back. out of him with the curls the curls are back it was like almost a trending thing i know so we were so excited and then all of a sudden like the world just stopped and for mm. us mega mega fans like he meant as much to us as a family member and i think a lot of you can probably relate to that 
So what was, did, would it be okay if you wanted to share your story, Jamin, about that day? Yeah, totally. And it was a bullet train going full speed ahead for a long time. And, you know, for me, it goes right back to when I became a fan in, in 2001 and heard, well, sorry, saw the 30th anniversary concerts. So that's where my, you know, fan, fandom started. You know, we, you know, I spent a lot of time on, on forums and following everything to do with Michael Jackson, listening to all the new songs that came out during that time, whether they were leaks or, you know, One More Chance on Number Ones or We've Had Enough on the Ultimate Collection and, you know, following him through the trial and defending him and going through all those hard times and then, you know, those really mysterious years from 2006 to 2009 where Michael was a vagrant travelling around the world and slowly but surely preparing for his comeback his musical and performing comeback, you know, like it was, it was, a, it was a 10 year build up to this moment really. And then, you know, it, it was all happening within the last few months of his life. It was, it was, I can't describe the, the feeling for a fan. It was like, um, Michael's coming back to conquer the world again, but it wasn't just like Michael going on tour again. It was like Michael's coming back after the biggest fight of his life in the, the trial uh, to prove to the world why he is the biggest superstar there ever was. And for it not to happen was absolutely heartbreaking. But basically for me, it was a regular morning. I woke up. It was actually June 26th in Australia, not June 25th when Michael passed away. But I woke up very early in the morning. First thing I did, like every other morning uh, during this period, was to jump straight on a, on the forums I think, uh, I'm not sure which forum it was. It was probably Maximum Jackson or something like that. But I went straight to the forums to see what the latest news was, to see if there was any new um, press footage or images that had come out of Michael when he was, you know, in LA preparing. There was a lot of footage, a lot of audio coming out during this period. There was audio of Michael performing. People were hiding outside the Staples Center with, you know, microphones recording him actually doing the rehearsals. You know, all of this stuff was coming out. So... Yeah, it was like a regular morning for me getting up to, to see any new stuff that come out. And I started seeing news reports on on the internet, like CNN and different things like that, reporting that Michael had gone into cardiac arrest and been rushed to a hospital. And and when I first started seeing those reports, there was nothing to do with him dying. It was just saying that he'd, he'd had heart failure or heart problems. There was actually no mention of death in the, some of the earlier reports. It was just that he'd been rushed to hospital. And I was, I was like, holy crap, I mean, this is really, really, really serious. And then I thought, no, hang on, it's probably not. This is just like another uh, one-night-only situation or coming to your court in your pyjamas situation. This is, a, you know, just another thing for Michael to try and get out of something. Not that the pyjama situation actually was that. We've learnt so uh, since then. But, yeah, I thought it was a stunt. I thought it was, oh, Michael doesn't want to do the shows. He's found an elaborate way to get out of doing them. And then the news reports started getting more and more serious. You know, there was talk about Michael dying. And then it was just, my world was in free fall. The first thing I did was call, um, you know, my one of my closest Michael Jackson fan friends and, fan, and friends in general, Damien Shields. It was just, the first thing I had to do was call him. And I called his mobile. It rung out. He was He would have been sleeping. His, his mobile rung out, so I thought, no, I, I've got to call his, his home phone. And since talking to Damien after this, I found out what was actually happening was he was he was laying in bed and he was he didn't know anything about this. He didn't know Michael had passed, but he was listening to his mobile ring out. He didn't want to get up and get it because he, he was asleep. And then as soon as he heard his home phone ring, 
which I was calling, his heart, his heart just sunk. He just he knew what had happened because there was only one reason that you know I'd be calling his home phone, you know, and it was either going to be something really amazing or something really really bad. And you know, he just had that feeling it was really bad, and it was. And I got on the phone to him, told him what happened. He jumped off the phone, started researching it. I continued researching it, and that's when I started you know seeing all the things like the press conference from Jermaine and uh, outside the hospital. And it just hit home, it was happening. And basically my day, I don't remember much after the day that it happened, but the day that Michael died, I remember everything. And it was hell. It was, I couldn't get out of bed for a really, really long time, like a couple of hours. I just couldn't move. And then my mother came into my room and we hugged because she'd heard what had happened. And she just hugged me for a really, really long time. And then she wanted me to go out of the house and get some air. So we went down to the shopping center, the local shopping center at Sunshine Coast called Sunshine Plaza. And that was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. I wish to God to this day that I'd never gone out of the house because basically I was walking around the shopping center and there was Michael Jackson music playing in every store. They were celebrating him, his life. And all I wanted to do was be angry. And I'm walking from shop to shop listening to this music and... I actually got angry at some people like the shop owner. I was like, how can you play this? Like he just passed away. How can you play this? This is not right. We can't, this is not okay. There needs to be some time here. Um, And then I can't remember what that shop owner responded with, but I stumbled out and just walked somewhere else. And then I went to a coffee shop and I sat down and I heard a family, a father of a family was sitting there actually telling negative Michael Jackson jokes, like about plastic surgery and pedophilia and just rubbish like that. And I just remember getting so angry and I just stood up and said, how dare you? How dare you say something like that about a person who devoted their entire life for the betterment of humanity and art? How dare you? And the family were just shocked and then I walked away and then I went home with mum and just spent the rest of the day in shock. And I don't remember much after that for a couple of weeks, actually. I can't remember what happened. The next thing I remember was, you know... Um, starting to talk about, you know, just what what was going to happen next with his estate and children and things like that. But yeah, that was basically my day. And how do I think he should be remembered? Well, this will probably be a pretty short answer because I think two two things. First and foremost, the greatest artist who ever lived, whatever, dancer, musician, singer, whatever you want to call it, the greatest artist who ever lived. You know, you can't you can't top him. He changed, you know, short films, music videos. He changed live performance, dance, music, everything. He broke the color line for black artists through Amer- in America. Like he he did, he changed the world. You know, so yeah. And secondly, I think he should be remembered as somebody who tried to change the world for the better as a humanitarian. Uh, you know, he devoted so much of his money and time to helping children, animals, the sick underprivileged so yeah that's my answer <laughs> that is full on i don't think i've ever actually we've never talked about this really in that much detail amongst even ourselves yeah especially about after like when you went out and stuff yeah it was a really full-on day and it's something that uh, i'll never forget ever and it's like i said before i think it's something that i'm still dealing with even today uh, knowing that Michael's gone and 
uh, you know, not being able to get up every morning and check the, the latest MJ news in forums and pictures and see what he's up to and everything like that. It's definitely a very different feeling now today with him gone than it was six years ago when he was around, you know, but you know, that's, that's life, I guess. And death is a part of life. And it's something that I think we all have to deal with as a, as a community. So what about you, Q? Where were you? What were you doing? And how do you think Michael should be remembered? So that morning, I, it was still quite early in the morning over here in Perth. And I had woken up just completely bright awake, uh, like for no reason. I thought, oh, okay, maybe there was a noise or but there was nothing. I just had woken up completely really early. I was actually on call for work that day, a little, little bit later than when I woke up. So I knew that, or oh, maybe it was work trying to call. So I checked my phone and there was nothing on my phone, no missed calls or anything. So, okay, well, I'll try and go back to sleep because it's early, but I couldn't go back to sleep. And then I checked my phone again and there was a whole bunch of messages and phone calls. And I was like, okay, this isn't work because I'm not on call yet. So I checked them and it was, it was our friend TJ. And he was hysterical and I couldn't really understand what he was saying. He was saying, he's gone, he's gone. I think this is what I think I remember. He's gone, he's gone. They're saying that he's gone. And I was trying to get out of him what they're talking about. And then he told me what the news was saying. And I sort of said, I, you know, they've said stuff like this before. I think it was probably only, you know, in the last 12 months before that, there'd been stupid news stories that he died and that he was really sick and all this other rubbish in the news. So I was like, I, it's just some rumor and it's, I'll go and try and check on the internet and see what I can find. And I could, and then the internet was um, not really behaving itself. So it took me a while to get onto the internet to check. And then I, I guess the news or something I saw, because I had the TV on as well. Um, and then the news came through. And so I guess it was sort of official and I was sort of in shock. And I was home alone. We didn't have our two cats at the time that hadn't been adopted yet. And my fiance at the time, who's now the hubs was working overseas and wasn't scheduled to get back until a couple of days later. So I called him and I told him that Michael's gone and he didn't quite understand. And then, and then I told him that he died. And he was really shocked and he said he would try and get back from overseas early. Um, and as it turned out, he couldn't get any earlier flights. He couldn't get home any earlier. It was only about two nights away anyway. And then my phone, the house phone, everything started ringing. Uh, one of my closest friends, Emily, she called and she said, I'm not going into work today. I'm coming over to look after you. So she didn't go into work and she came not long after to look after me. And that was really incredible 
there was another fan friend of um, mine, Liam, also here in Perth, and he called and he had heard the news and he said, can I come over? And I was like, sure. So it was just like, you know, we're not like, we don't see each other a lot, but we're Michael friends. So we have that in common. And he just wanted to hang out with another Michael friend. And he came over for a few hours. I remember my dad calling and I don't remember much, but I remember he cried at the end when, when I finished talking with him, there were so many phone calls and messages and I don't really remember much. And I, I remember Emily was taking a lot of the phone calls there was not a lot of people that I probably did speak to that day and I don't remember many that I did speak to and I feel bad because, you know, they were calling to comfort me and everything. Same for the messages and everything. It was just never ending. And I called work knowing that I was on call and there was a good chance I was going to get called into work and I told them that I'm not in any state to come into work for a few days because I was not being in like a safety related role, we need to be focused. And so I knew that I was not in any state to go into work. And then, so I don't remember much about that day. I do remember that Emily had to go home at some point and she invited me over for dinner and I did go. Uh, so I drove down to her and her parents' house and, and had dinner with them, which was really lovely of them. And it was, it was always a great meal at their house. And it was so nice to be at like a, just a warm, friendly table. But it was so awkward, like, because not that because they were asking weird questions or anything. It was just really awkward that life was going on mm. as normal. And for me, it sort of wasn't. And all I could think about was his family and his children and who was going to look after the children and for their future. So I don't remember much really for the rest of the week. I remember, yeah, I don't remember much. It wasn't, it wasn't a good week. It wasn't an easy week. It didn't really get any easier. And I remember for a long time after I went back to work, for probably over a year, Sometimes there would be in my um, pigeonhole at work, there'd be like a, a magazine, like a Rolling Stone or a tribute magazine um, that someone would put in my pigeonhole because probably a lot of us that at work or at study or whatever, we're known as like the Michael Jackson guy, the Michael Jackson girl. So <laughs> yeah, everyone me, would, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's us. So everyone would sort of, you know, drop in a magazine and, and, and stuff like that. And they'd all ask, even for in my job, you know, we might not work with the same people for years. And even now I will come across someone and they'll remember me from somehow and they'll go, you know, they'll, they'll ask me about Michael and, you know, just how was I going and stuff like that. And that went on for such a long time. And even now I'll still get people you know, how's things and what's the latest and stuff like that. So it's always cool to be remembered as that kind of guy. Um, so that's how it was that day. I probably forgot a lot. I, I actually, I can really relate, especially when you were talking about the like not remembering much about the week after. Like I remember the day really clearly and then everything for for a week or two after that is just 
black in my mind. I can't even remember it. I remember we had to, when, when the hubs got home, we had to try and figure out what to do with the booked flights and the booked hotels for the trip to London that I was going to for the, for the shows. And what we ended up doing was cancelling the accommodation, which it looked like a really cute hotel, so that was a shame. And we transferred the flight credit to flights to Los Angeles at some point to go and pay our respects in Los Angeles. Uh, so I went over there and saw like the star on the Walk of Fame, the gates of the um, house where it happened. And if there was like billboards up and down Hollywood Boulevard, like honoring Michael at the time. So that was, that was cool that we could do that. I remember I went and dropped a card off at the Jackson family house in Encino. In Havenhurst, yeah. In Havenhurst. I remember I yeah. dropped a card off there on behalf of a lot of my fan friends and signed it on behalf of all of them. Did you go to the Staples Centre at all? Or? I did go to the Staples Centre. At the time, there was, a, at the Grammy Museum near there, there was an exhibition there of his jackets and mm. uh, clothing and stuff and records and things like that. That was really cool to see. So what about our second question? How do you think Michael should be remembered? Positively, as a man that changed the world, an incredible, incredible and special man that came here and changed the world for the better as the most amazing and successful artist of all time. And every day I'm so grateful that I was alive during the time of Michael. Yeah. Like people read and study the, you know, Michelangelo and Leonardo da Vinci and people like that who left such incredible artistic legacies. And we were alive in the time of Michael Jackson and we will always have that. And he should be remembered and, and, for his inspiration that he gave for his humanitarian efforts. He was always trying to use the power of love and the message of love to change and to fix the world and its problems. Mm. And that is so to be admired and to be an inspiration and a guiding light for all of us. And that should be what, other than his artistic legacy, that should be his legacy because he was such a hero to us, but he was a hero to the world. And, yeah, it was a terrible time. And like we talked about earlier, I don't think we have finished grieving, maybe because of the suddenness of it and because of all the, the drama afterwards, which at the time we were, I think, all hoping, well, now he can rest in peace and that will be the end of all of the awful stuff. And then that never happened and it's still continuing and that's, a real shame, but we should always remember his message and what he tried to inspire us with. And we all love Michael and we all have our differences and we all have our different opinions, but at the core of it, we all loved Michael and we're all inspired by him and we love his work. So we all have that in common. Let's remember that. And we can work together still, even with different opinions. Like we don't have to agree with each other because no one agrees with everything that's the same anyway. So we should all just become 
you know, a powerful force for good like Michael wanted and continue to spread that message. Absolutely. Q, this week, uh, or for the last couple of weeks, actually, we've had a, a special situation happening where fans or listeners of the show rather have been able to submit to us their uh, thoughts on exactly those things that we've just discussed, where and what they were doing when, when they found out Michael passed, and also uh, what or how they think Michael should be remembered. And we've had 11 submissions so far. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's, it's, it's awesome. I've listened back to a lot of them, and I'll tell you what, there's some really touching ones in there uh, with some just some great, great thoughts from, from listeners all around the world. Uh, we've had people submit from just everywhere we've had people submit from europe and north america and south america and all over the place it's been phenomenal some aussies in there i believe yep there's quite a few a few few australians uh which is awesome so many (laughs) thanks to everyone that did submit in this is the first time we've done something like this it won't be the last because we you this show is for you and we want to include you so when the opportunity comes we will ask for this so don't be shy (laughs) <laughs> and send in submissions because chances are probably will get used. So don't be shy because this is a show for you guys. And yeah, that's exactly right. So uh, why don't we hit play on a, on on those submissions now? And should take about an hour or so to get through them all, and uh, we'll see how we go. Hi, my name is Evan Young. I am from St. Louis, Missouri, in the United States. And I've been a Michael Jackson fan for about 15 years. On June 25th, 2009, I was working as a reporter for a small newspaper in St. Louis. And at the time, I was working on my story assignments for the week when I received a text message from one of my college friends. Did you hear that Michael Jackson was rushed to the hospital? Immediately, I got online and began searching for news about this, and after seeing several different versions of the story reported, I decided to just go about my day because I figured there was no point in being concerned about it if the media couldn't get its facts straight. So I went back to my work, but about 45 minutes later, I checked again, and when I hit refresh... I saw what I believe was the TMZ headline of Michael Jackson Dies. And at first, I brushed it aside because I knew that TMZ was all about speed over accuracy and being the first to report things, whether they were accurate or not. So I decided to, again, not pay it much attention. But as the minutes ticked away, the feeling of dread began to fill me inside And then the Los Angeles Times confirmed it, then CNN and CBS and so on and so forth. I was in shock. I definitely was not prepared, as I think many fans were not prepared, for the words Michael Jackson dies to ever be used together, let alone so suddenly. But most of all, I remember really wanting to just talk to somebody about it. None of my coworkers were very appreciative of Michael Jackson. They certainly weren't fans of his. And I remember it just being a really long rest of the day and evening. But the thing that saved me, I think, that day was that at least a half a dozen of my friends called or texted me 
to see if I was okay. And I remember really being touched by that. Obviously, my affection, or as some of them may have called it, obsession with Michael Jackson really kind of shone through. And so they responded to his death by contacting me and wanting to know if I was okay, as if I had lost a family member or a loved one. First and foremost, I want Michael Jackson to be remembered as a human being, like the billions of other human beings that inhabit this planet. He was a father, he was a brother, he was an uncle, and he was a friend. He had his imperfections, he had great qualities, but most of all, he wanted to love and he wanted to be loved. And I sincerely hope that one day the whole world will finally be able to understand and to love this loving, caring, yet so unfairly mistreated and misunderstood human being. Secondly, I want Michael to be remembered as a man with a heart of gold. We're talking about a man who has redefined what it means to be a humanitarian and a philanthropist. He literally gave the shirt off his back to help the planet and to help its children and to help its animals. He gave away so much of his wealth toward making the world a better place. And finally, I just want Michael Jackson to be remembered for his unparalleled genius. Michael was so intelligent and so in tuned with music and with video and, and both of those as art forms that he knew what people wanted before they knew they wanted it and before they knew they needed it. And the perfect example of this is the phenomenon that took place last year and continues to this day in St. Louis and around the United States. And that is Michael's song, They Don't Care About Us, being resurrected as an anthem to protest against the police brutality and racial inequality that's taken place in our city of St. Louis as well as around the country. The fact that this song that Michael created and released 20 years ago that was roundly criticized and bashed at the time of its release and has come back and given new life as this anthem just goes to show how much influence Michael still has and how his art speaks to us long after he has left us. Thank you to Jamin and to Q for letting me share my experience on the MJ cast. Keep up the good work, guys. Well, I know that you're doing it in a good spirit, the one of love, sharing, and maybe in a healing one as well. But the fact is that even though I support you in your blog most of the time, on that one request, I think that you're going a bit too much in the depth of, <laughs> and I would say Michael's heart, but yeah, going a bit too much in the depth of people's heart and feelings. I mean, June 25th means the same thing for all of us. Even though we don't share the same thoughts about how it occurred, but June 25th marks to all of us. 
the end of our world. It's like we're living in hell since then. It's apocalyptic. We're trying to rebuild ourselves for six years without any success. So there is my statement about that day. Even though I'm not giving you the exact terms about about how, what, when occurred at the time of the event on June 25th or 9. And you really came on the way you were asking it because I'm I was not on the way of giving it to you, giving giving you the way I felt. And I think about it, and I feel about it. But anyway, you've got it. And even though I'm brief, it's really what I feel. I I feel like living in hell for six years, and I don't think it will ever change because this feeling of emptiness, of sadness, and of not being here even though I'm living but I mean I'm surviving I'm living for my hope and not for me anymore and that's that's the that's the point I mean that's the point of it all it's it has been six years and it will be like that till the end of my life so yes here you get what I feel about June 25th and um, to finish what what I was going to say for me Michael is love is the spirit of love of um, happiness even though um, he suffered a lot in his life he he brought love happiness a lot of love and um For me, he must be remembered as as it as the spirit of God on earth. For me, Michael was, is, and will forever be our modern Messiah. So that's my statement. I love you, Michael. My name is Jacob Brachin, I'm from Adelaide, Australia. I'd just woken up and was getting ready for school that morning. Um, just before I ate breakfast, my mum came out and told me that Michael had died. And I couldn't believe it. So I went to my room, shut the door, and tried to process things. I started uh, getting onto uh, my laptop, just looking at news, researching, and it was in fact true. And I was in disbelief. I I went to school that day um, just not wanting breakfast, so I almost skipped out on breakfast. But I ate and went along to school anyway. 
and my best friends and close friends were there to stick around with me throughout the day. Um, it was a really hard day because um, I had to be at school with a heavy heart knowing that he wasn't around anymore. And and there were other, some classmates who just uh, wouldn't stop making fun and uh, telling me that um, my favorite musician had died and someone who I idolized had passed. But I didn't give them any attention. I just ignored them and went on with my day. In terms of how I want him to be remembered, I'd like him to be remembered for his music, his philanthropy, his generous nature, the great barriers he was able to knock down, for example, black artists being able to be on MTV, his dancing and his fantastic positive messages for the world and for people and children. His legacy will always be his music. Hello everyone and greetings from Collinsville, Illinois, which is just a few minutes from St. Louis, Missouri. To be honest, it wasn't until last November that I became a huge Michael Jackson fan. Um, before that, I would have said The Who was my favorite. Um, I still love them, but I'd have to say that MJ has surpassed them. Um, unfortunately, I won't be able to see him play live. But um, that said, I do remember what I was doing on the day he passed. Um, a few of my close friends were visiting me from out of town that day, and we went to a club to hear a friend of ours uh, sing. And I remember watching um, the bar's television with all the news uh, flashes. One of my um, best friends who loved MJ was very sad because um, the television in the bar was showing clips all the time of fans outside the hospital. Um, I rem remember feeling sorry for her, but it really didn't affect me that much at the time um, because, like I said, I was a casual fan. Um, since November 2014, I've been going through my own mourning process um, pretty much by myself. <laughs> um, there have been many days and nights of sadness and crying while I watch his YouTube videos. Um, I remember reading that Paul McCartney told MJ that he wished he had recorded more of himself in his early days with the Beatles and with Wings. And uh, that's why MJ decided to film himself so much. So thank God for that. Um, because I can honestly say that I feel just as close to him now as many of his fans that have followed him for years do. Um, regarding how I think MJ should be remembered, um, of course there are going to be the expected answers such as his music and dancing, humanitarianism. He was such a great father, of course. Um, but this has always been a touchy subject for me as I feel there's really been enough written or discussed regarding his death. Um, it's been very frustrating because I do believe that he was murdered and um, there are still so many unanswered questions, you know, such as his cries out for help, uh, to get help from Dieter, Dieter um, 
even saying he was going to be killed, uh, the missing tapes from the day he died, Tomei being fired and then still showing up, speaking for him as his manager after his death. Um, you know, he wasn't in control of anything in his life towards the end. You know, then, of course, then there's the Sony uh, conspiracy, not promoting his Invincible album to get their hands on his catalog. And I guess we could all go on and on. But I believe that by getting some of these questions answered, we would promote his legacy uh, to the world. Um, and then the world will realize what a remarkable human being we lost on June 25th, 2009. Um, we owe it to Michael and his legacy to unveil the truth. So keep Michaeling and let's change the world. Hi guys, Aaron here from Ireland, or as as I'm known to some of my friends. Um, yeah, I was just uh, thinking about the whole Michael Jackson anniversary thing now and the 25th of June coming up again. And um, that day, six years ago, you know, the 25th of June, I, I remember it vividly. I was over in my girlfriend's um, parents' house in England. We were visiting them. And um, we were up in her bedroom. We were watching TV. I can't remember what we were watching on TV, of course. But um, I'll never forget it. Like, she she got a text message from, from one of her friends, from her best friend. And, uh, I mean, we were due, we were due to go to the opening night of This Is It. Um, I think it was was it two less you know less than three weeks later, and um, we were go we were going to five nights all together. We were going to the opening night. We were going to the closing night, and then we were going to three nights in the middle. And around that, we were going to go to maybe five more nights if possible. I don't know how we were going to do that financially, but that's what we'd planned to do. But um, yeah, she Lydia received a text message from from her best friend just to say she was sorry and something about Michael Jackson and just by the tone of by the tone of the text message and the way my girlfriend sort of relayed the message to me I just I just really sort of knew in my gut something was really wrong you know so we just ran downstairs and we turned on the television turned the news on and um I think the news guy just said that um, it hadn't been confirmed but there was reports coming in that Michael Jackson had suffered um, suffered a heart attack, and um, I mean, I just I just lost the plot completely. I just dropped to the floor, and I just really, really broke down. I was a total mess. My girlfriend was a mess. She's a huge Michael Jackson fan, also, and like we'd met on um, a fan forum in two thousand two thousand seven, and. Um, so we'd been together a couple of years, but like we were huge Michael Jackson fans, the both of us. So um, we were just a mess, an absolute wreck. And I think I stayed in bed for you know a day or two, and um, it was oh it was horrific. And when I think back now to it, like I, I sometimes still even you know get those feelings, or if I um, if I like watch YouTube videos of the news reports of that day, um, and I just you know just hearing those words, seeing those news reports again and. You know, and like I remember when um, Jermaine, Jermaine then like came to announce that, you know, his brother, the King of Pop had passed away at such a time. It like hurt even more again, even though we'd all, it, it, it had been pretty much confirmed at that stage. And it was just like the words hurt, even, it hurt so much more again. And wow, it's, 
yeah, it's just massive loss. Like, it's just huge loss. I mean, uh, any fan will know what it's like and, you know, what it what it felt like that day. and Those weeks and months after it and, wow, it was just, nothing's been the same since that. Like, you know, everything in the fan community changed and, you know, the post on this releases and you know and just it's 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 completely different now to what it, what it was but i remember when it was leading up to the this is it concerts there was like footage of him he got his curls back he was looking great and everybody was just like getting ready for the for the uh, o2 concerts and um then they were put back i mean for a dress rehearsal or something like that and i mean you know when you look back now you know you kind of know that behind the scenes all probably wasn't you know what what we kind of thought it w was but um it yeah it's um it when this time of time of the year comes up this anniversary every year it's yeah it's funny when you think on that you know it's funny he's a huge loss and not just to his fans but you know to everybody around the world to his family and you know all the charities he, he helped over the years he's done tremendous work he's done you know he's helps so many people in so many different ways you know but his music more than anything in his live performance and his short films there'll never be another and he he simply was the greatest you know um thinking about how he how how he'll be remembered or how how he should be remembered um i think i think in time i think he will be remembered as the absolute greatest artist that you know in the world that he was um, and I think it's probably still right now, it's just still sort of too close to his passing for that to sort of, for that to sort of happen. Um, you know, all the controversy around Michael Jackson and all the speculation and allegations and rumour and innuendo and all the nonsense around it and the fact that it's you know like we're living such a media tabloid driven world and you know i think i think the more space we get between his passing and you know distance and time and i think you know he will be remembered and if if the estate and people could sort of get their act together and release decent quality quality um releases and you know, like what you guys are doing and what like people like Damien Shields are doing and what Sil Martilla and loads of people are sort of fans really, I suppose, are sort of helping keep his legacy and memory alive. And um I think I think in time he will be remembered as the as, as the greatest living entertainer, live performer of all time. I mean, you know. It's um I draw parallels to um Charlie Chaplin actually, who who um toward the end of his career he he um he was sort of vilified in in the media in the press in America and he was kicked out of America and not allowed in and there were sort of accusations of you know having affairs with younger women and younger girls and all that kind of thing but you know time time sort of put space between that type of thing and you know you're looking you look back at Chaplin's work and like Michael Jackson it's just great performance it's mastery of their you know their what they do and um yeah i think i think michael will be remembered in time as the greatest artist of all time cheers guys love the show thanks guys bye hi i'm sarah a from adelaide in south australia obviously i'm a michael fan 
Um, just answering the questions like where you were when Michael Jackson passed and what were you doing uh, to start with. Um, where was I? I was at home. I think it was sometime during the day when I heard about the news. Um, yeah, I think I got a phone call from my mum saying to turn on the news. I was just, I'm pretty sure I was just waking up. Anyway, I ended up going in the lounge room, whatever the time of the day it was, uh, putting on the TV and then seeing the news unfold saying, oh, Michael Jackson's been hospitalised. And then a bit later on they were announcing he died and stuff. And people obviously have taken that out of proportion before in saying, oh, MJ's dead. Uh, when he wasn't really. So I assumed that, you know, this is just rumours or a nasty prank or something. And then I was sitting there watching it unfold, thinking to myself, you know, I'm not going to listen to them unless someone from Michael's family comes out and says that he's passed. That way I know it's authentic and, yeah, no. It's it's more real. Um, then, lo and behold, a few minutes later, Jermaine actually um, appeared on the TV and announced to the world that his little brother, Michael Joseph Jackson, had passed away. Uh, r reports said it was a heart attack or there was some, or, or some other stuff, but not quite sure what the case was then but anyway he passed away uh what it, was I doing obviously I was watching it unfold on tv it's like the whole world just stopped and I can't explain but from there on in for days on end and through a couple of months I just I wasn't really a big MJ fan to start with until, you know, the announcement of This Is It. And then I got really pumped and excited. Uh, reason I wasn't a big fan was probably because, I hate to admit it, but at first, being an Aspie, um, his, his dance moves were incredible, don't get me wrong, but it was the whole crotch-grabbing thing that I wasn't <laughs> sure about. Anyway, um... Yeah, I was just filled with emotion that day for for weeks and months to come. I just could not stop thinking about it and could not stop crying. And I even had a couple of dreams that seemed so surreal. It wasn't funny. Um, but, yeah, and how Michael should be remembered. I think it's important that what he did for this planet uh, planet Earth, obviously, <laughs> like in his poem, um, that he reached out to so many people. He was humanitarian. He should be remembered and and applauded for all the work he did when he was on Earth, for, for just being him and being a humanitarian, caring about this, this planet. And he was trying to get the message across to anyone and everyone no matter who you are, he broke barriers, you know. This guy, you know, he won just just like any other humanitarian, he, he wanted peace. 
He wanted people to come together and just, you know, whether you're black, white, religious, non-religious, whatever. He just wanted the best for the world. And that's how he should be remembered. Apart from future generations where he did leave the mark, his mark on the world. Uh, he left his short films. He left incredible dancing and music and messages. And that's what should be passed on to future generations to come. That, you know, he may not be here, but his spirit is still with us. And he wanted to reach out, get the message across. Even if, you know, one day these kids grow up to be tribute artists, like a couple of my friends that I know. Um, but, yeah, that's an impact. No matter where it's reaching towards humanitarian, whether it's continuing his music, whether it's fans sharing stories to other fans who never got to um, meet or see MJ live, like myself, just to experience their memories and basically to learn about Michael and what he did as a person and how he changed the face of music forever. And obviously the most important thing, love, L-O-V-E, sending major love. And that he be remembered for every one of those things. God bless. Hi, this is Sandra de la Vega from Peru. Uh, the day Michael passed away, I was uh, at a department store and my husband called. I was with my little son. He told me, Sandra, where are you? And I was like, what's happening? He said, I'm watching CNN and they say your Michael had a heart attack. And I was like, don't worry, I've been in, on Facebook just uh, this morning and everything is fine with him. And he said, no, they say he's at a hospital. And I thought in that moment, oh, this is a PR move. And I told him, oh, must be a PR move, don't worry. And he made a post and then he told me, I'll never forget that, he, he told me, Sandra, Go home, and I'll be there in 20 minutes. And when he said that, oh, my God, my, my blood uh, froze. I ran to the house, and I, you know, put CNN. Uh, it was the news on CNN and Fox News and every local channel, too. And from that moment, I, you know, it's a blur. I don't remember much. But it was like, you know, my ex-husband took my, my son uh, to his home. And, you know, I was like three days crying in front of the TV in chalk. You know, I couldn't eat or sleep or anything. Till uh, a cousin of mine came home and took me outside to eat something. It was horrible, horrible moment. It took me some time to to finally accept that he's gone and sometimes it's difficult still today after six years it's difficult but you know life goes on you have to carry on
and do positive things. I think Michael should be remembered as a person that, despite all his genius and you know all that talent and all his money, he never, never stopped being humble. He never thought he was better than anyone. And as a person that, despite all his suffering, the hard life he had to had, and all those horrible. Uh, things other people did to him, he never stopped loving and caring and forgiving. You know, that's how he should be remembered as that wonderful, wonderful person that he was inside. Hello, uh, MJ Cast. This is Nick Argento, and I am a huge fan of Michael Jackson. And I like to start off by saying that um, I think it's really devastated that today, June 25th, is a very tragic day for many, many, many people who were fans of Michael Jackson, and of course a big loss to his family as well, and to his children. It's really, really very sad. Um, my story is, a, is very interesting. Um, by, by the time that Michael Jackson passed, I really didn't really knew who he was at the time. Um, I've heard of him, I think, but I never actually knew who he was. Um, with his music and the person that he was. But then when July 7th came, 2009, when his memorial service um, took place on TV, I saw that um, on my father's television set. Um, and then when I saw that, I just wanted to find out who this person was. And wow, he looks like he was huge. So... So I got to researching, and I do a lot of researching because I'm also a singer-songwriter as well, and I like to know a lot of new artists. But this one was very, very, very interesting to find out who. So for about a year or two after Michael passed, I, I found out, I researched a lot, uh, bought some of his music to find out who he truly was and what a pioneer he was. And then when I got to the point where I finally knew who he really was, as a person and as an artist, all of a sudden his death just hit me like a, uh, just like a like a slap in the face, like a punch in my stomach. Even though he was already gone, but I found out who he really was. So, for about a year or two after I found out who he was, and basically his death just hit me like that. I didn't listen to his music. I just didn't. I had I had a poster of him in my room, but I just I just prayed on it and just, you know, I just always I thought about him so many times and just. In one particular very day, um, I'm also very religious in some ways, very spiritual, believe in all that. Um, I believe in God and Jesus. And one day I was at a local park and I uh, was listening to one of Michael Jackson's songs called Childhood, which is off his history album. And all of a sudden I looked up into the sky. It was a very, very beautiful day dawn night dusk night it was very very like orange very very colorful ups uh, up at the sky and it was just all of a sudden my mouth just hit the ground and i thought that there was some twinkling up there thinking that wow I, is that him oh my god i mean i was i was it was very surreal for me and, and there was nobody else at the park at all i was the only human living soul in the whole park and it was huge so after i got done singing childhood out loud, all of a sudden the little feeling just went away like that. So after I had that, 
I call it a spiritual connection with Michael Jackson. I wrote a song all about that experience I had with him. So ever since then, I started listening to his music by, by then, and then I really, really took his death, you know, you know, I, I took, I, I got over it, and now I can listen to his music, and I've been listening to it a lot lately. Um, and actually, recently, I had another spiritual connection with him in my own room while I was listening to his most recent album called Escape, which is full of uh, unreleased material that he never released, which is amazing. Um, so, yeah, and now I can actually say to everybody, um, to the MJ cast, that I think it's great that you guys are making this, I mean, Michael Jackson would have been so, so proud of you guys, and to me personally, I think of him as a big brother to me, I call him my spiritual soul brother, and I, I always refer to people to him like, uh, oh yeah, that's my bro, Michael Jackson, you know, because I really, truly love him as if he was my brother, and I really respect him as the artist that he was, and just his unbelievable talent with the dancing, and the moonwalking, and it's just, it's just, he was very magical, he was like a a living spirit, of like a he, this, like he just wasn't of this planet. He was just like a god in his own way, and I and we all truly missed him. I I really miss him, but I don't miss him as much as I used to anymore because I know that he's up there. You know, he's um, I I feel that you know I feel like he's with me all the time. Every I because I think about him all the time, believing you know being a Christian and being believing in the resurrection. Um, I'll feel that when my time comes, years to come, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll hope to see him again because I really miss him and I love to meet him. And he's just, you know, an unbelievable, great, just just the the number one best man ever to meet. So thank you to, to the MJ cast for listening to this. My name's Nick Argento, and Michael Jackson will live on forever in our hearts, and his music will live on forever. Peace and love to you all. God bless. And uh, keep on smiling. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Hello, MJ Cast. This is Anna Ashton from the United States. Mike's passing was very personal to me. I had received a phone call when the announcement regarding Mike's passing was made. A crew member that I had kept in contact with from the Dangerous Tour was on the phone. They were in hysterics, and I could hardly understand what they were saying, and it took a good five minutes to calm them down. When I finally realized what they were trying to tell me through the sobs, I was struck numb. My first thoughts were shock and disbelief. I didn't cry, but I was shaking all over. My ears were ringing, and I actually stared into space at a hundred different memories flooded through my mind. I turned on the television, and I couldn't comprehend Jermaine's announcement about Mike's passing. I didn't understand how he could be making such a statement on the television. I was watching reports through tunnel vision trying to make some sense of all the words. When I finally closed my eyes and hung my head, I could see Mike as I remembered him in the early 1990s. His shimmering jacket sparkled in the darkness behind my eyes. His silly little sayings and past advice crossed my mind and reminded me of how very different he faced life. It's not what life hands you, it's what life is in your hands, repeated over and over in my mind. A voice so full of understanding and hope spoke to me at a time of uncertainty when I had a difficult decision to make. I remind 
I remembered one of the last bits of wisdom given to me as a decision to relocate in 1993 had to be made. It's only a new beginning, not the closing of an old ending. As the years have passed and life has moved on, my good memories far outnumber the bad memories. They are memories of laughter and travel and exhilaration, passion, stress, emotion, compassion, understanding, and finally silence. I keep my memories of Mike to myself. They are mine, a gift to me that I don't have to share unless I choose to. I think Mike should be remembered as the sum of all of his life experiences, not in bits and pieces, not in sound bites or video clips. His memory should be a personal experience, a personal relationship, a personal understanding of how he made you feel inside. Every person who has ever met Mike, listened to his music or his message, seen a concert, looked at a photograph, or read an article, made a memory of him inside themselves that is theirs and Mike's alone. They are memories that money can't buy, memories that can't be stolen, and memories that never have to fade into the shadows. Hello, MJ Cost. This is Louise, and I'm from London. Um, to answer your first question, where was you when you found out Michael had died and what was you doing? Um, because I was um, uh, further away from L.A., uh, it was around 10 or quarter past 10 at night. And um, I was ready to go to um, to bed for school the next morning. And um, But before that, I was actually um, asking my mum whether it was a possibility of um, going to see Michael in concert. Of course, it'll be a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and I didn't really want to miss that for anything. And um, we discussed it, and she said it was a certain possibility, and we was actually looking up the dates which were available, which, of course, it was Michael's concert, so there wasn't really much available. It was everyone who was literally going. And, um, of course, this anticipation of excitement was in me by the time. Um, and we were just... We were both excited, really, and then my sister, who was also in the room, she was on her phone, and she just said um, that Michael had a heart, had a heart attack, and I thought she was just being cruel, saying, oh, you know, he's had a heart attack, you can't go, and then she'll be saying, oh, I'm joking. But I said, oh, you're joking, and she said, no, no, look, at it, it was actually a report, and I thought, mm, I don't know, it, things ha can happen. Um... Things can happen in the media, people can say things, people can get it wrong, and I just was a little bit shaken by that, and uh, my brother uh, was um, saying, oh, it's not true, he, he's amazing, he, nothing could happen to him. And she said, well, they're reporting now he's died, and I said, oh, for bloody hell, he wouldn't have died in such a short time, they would have resuscitated him. And then I turned on the news on the TV, and they had confirmed it, uh, with the uh, LA um, the hospital and his brother, who was also at UCLA, and it was it was really um, baffling to uh, get that news because we were just talking about 
seeing the man in person like 10 minutes earlier like this man who was alive and ready well who we thought could have been ready and healthy and then now all of a sudden he's gone and I just felt such such emptiness and such it, it was such a terrible moment like having great excitement to see someone who you've never met before but felt you could have a great connection with and then for them to be suddenly gone and the next day um, everyone in my school obviously they had heard about it and it was a few weeks before uh, school was ending so we just really grieved together by listening to his music and we all was ready for the next few years ahead of us um, as in exams and going into um, new uh, years and new schools some of us and I think that what leads to the next question is how he should be remembered um, the next few weeks Michael really did bring us together people I didn't actually talk to in my class I actually got to know them better strangely through his music and we all like discussed in school even the teachers like advocated this that we should talk about him and what he inspired in most of us and that's what we should do I think um, advocating what he um, spoke for healing the world and um, standing up for your fellow human being um, and helping children. I think also being more positive to the world, not being so cynical and helping people more and not focusing on the things that are not as important, such as, you know, what am I going to wear today or why is my phone not working or charging up? You know, I think we should be more value of life and I think that's what he would have liked to see, and people being more positive and focusing on the good and bringing people together, because that's what we, he was all about. If you just look at his concerts, there's literally not one single type of person who's there. Literally everyone is there. Every race, every gender, well, every age, everyone's there. I think that's what his life and his legacy will always be, is bring people together and being positive about the world and trying to make the world a little bit better and I think we should honour that and carry on his message after he's gone and I think that'll be the best way to remember him I am the author of Michael Jackson Innocent I remember watching the late night news and the presenter stated that Michael Jackson had breathing problems I woke the next morning to hear that he had died what followed was shock. He was only 50 years old. His legacy resides in his children, his family, the many people that he interacted with or touched with his philanthropy and artistry. As a physical presence, I would like to see the ranch retained and that there is a dedicated static museum and a charitable trust to continue his ideals and philanthropy. Hi, MJ Cast. My name is Jesse DeVars, and I'm from Perth, Australia. I uh, just wanted to start off by saying I love what you guys are doing. You guys are amazing. Um, thank you so much. I truly appreciate it. And I'm sure I speak for many fans around the world. Uh, keep it up. I love you guys. <laughs> so the first question, where was I when MJ passed? Well, uh, I was at home. I was with my twin brother. We're both huge fans. Um, it's actually a little bit crazy. The night before 
uh, everything happened, uh, I decided to wear my history tour shirt to sleep. I never, yeah, I never usually wear my Michael Jackson shirts um, unless I'm going out or something like that, but I decided to wear it to go to bed. And yeah, the next morning, uh, our sister called us early in the morning and woke us up and pretty much told us what she had seen on the news. We didn't really believe it because uh, people make up rumours all the time, especially back then, you know. So we didn't believe it, but we went online just to see what's going on. And uh, Facebook had crashed, the MJ forums had crashed, um, I think Twitter had crashed as well. And we're like, wow, something, something must be going on. So uh, we spent about an hour looking around trying to find, you know, more details about what's happening. You know, he's de he definitely was in hospital. We were hoping it wasn't something, you know, very serious. And then Jermaine Jackson uh, came out with a statement um, confirming everything. And we were devastated. Yeah, we were crushed. So we didn't go to school that day. Um, we decided to stay home and listen to his music and watch his videos and really celebrate his life. And our family and friends were so supportive because they knew how much he meant to us. And that kind of leads me to the second question. Um, what do you want Michael Jackson to be remembered by? On that day, I found that people weren't focusing on his private life. People weren't focusing on the accusations. People weren't focusing on all the negative things. You know, people were really focusing on his music, um, on his performance, you know, uh, how excited they were to see him on stage again. So um, I was really glad, and that's what I want him to be remembered by, you know, how he was an, an incredible artist, an incredible performer. Um, his different approach uh, when it came to creating things, you know, he shifted culture, he changed, he changed the way, you know, uh, artists do things in pop popular culture, you know, when it comes to music videos or performances or even costuming. It's those type of things, you know. Um, he wasn't afraid. He wasn't afraid to go out and be bold and be artistic and do something even though everyone else was saying no. So um, that is what I, you know, I want him to be remembered by. And I think he is rem remembered uh, for being that type of artist. And he'll always be respected and um, always admired and appreciated. And his legacy will continue to live on. There we go. That was our listeners' submissions for this special episode on the 25th of June. And again, we would both like to just express our gratitude for sending in submissions. Um, this, this show, it was, it was a difficult show to really plan, wasn't it, Jamin? Because it's like, well, we're looking forward to celebrating his birthday. I think that's going to be something yeah, really fun. Absolutely. But it's, it's a day that, yeah, it's a really difficult day. So what we wanted to do was to acknowledge the day, to acknowledge how difficult the day is for us, uh, to share the grief a bit and just to hold our hands out to each other and to, to say, you're not alone, you know, fans are everywhere and we're all feeling something similar and we're all going through the same thing. And we wanted to just help with that today and yeah. but we we also wanted to celebrate some good stuff and that's why we had such an incredible guest join us for today to just talk about his incredible tribute song glorious um which i hope a lot of you and maybe even discovering for this first time and can can listen to that and maybe that will help but it's a beautiful tribute song from darren hayes and to have such um an awesome fan 
just talk about some cool stuff and we can have some happy memories and stuff. So, yeah, it was a tricky episode, but we really thank our listeners for sending in submissions. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, It was a tricky one to plan and I think it was important that we did it. And, you know, sometimes I think about the, the people out there, a lot of fans out there that email us and talk to us that may have become disconnected from their Michael friend groups and fan groups over the years uh, since Michael passed away. And this, this episode I think is really going to be important for people out there that don't talk to a lot of their Michael friends anymore or, or that kind of thing, just to know that there's a lot of people out there still feeling the same way and that we can all deal with it together as a community. Totally. Perfectly said. So... How can people find out about us? How can people get in touch with the MJ cast? So you're listening to the podcast already. That's a great start. And we, we really appreciate that you're listening. Um, so our website, our main portal for the MJ cast is our website, the MJcast.com. From that site, you can subscribe uh, iTunes or Android. You can listen on the site and see the YouTube videos that we put up. There's also the social link on that page, which will lead you to all of our social networks. If you have Facebook, we are facebook.com slash the MJ cast. We're on Twitter, twitter.com slash the MJ cast. We are on Instagram.com slash the MJ cast. We are also now on Tumblr. I'm still learning Tumblr, so be patient, <laughs> but it's Tumblr is cool. Some be- and you don't need to have these social networks. You can actually just go to the site and see a lot of this stuff. So Tumblr is the mjcast.tumblr, T-U-M-B-L-R.com. You can subscribe to us on YouTube, which is youtube.com slash plus the mjcast. And we love, love, love hearing from you on all of those networks. Also, our email address. We love getting emails at themjcast at icloud.com. So drop us a line about what you thought of this episode, um, feedback, good and bad, and, yeah, just drop us a line. Thanks, Q. Well, that's that's uh, the end of our June 25th uh, special. It's been a difficult one in some ways. We've had... A few uh, few tough moments in there with uh, some reflective moments, and then we've also had some laughs as well there with Darren Hayes. Uh, it's been a lot of fun, been a lot of fun, and we hope uh, everybody spends uh, June 25th really reflecting on Michael's life and, and what he meant to the world. And uh, and maybe go out and do something special, like go and you know donate to a charity, or go and you know see if you see a homeless person, maybe go give them some food or a voucher or something. Go and do something in memory of Michael today. Absolutely. Well, thanks very much, listeners. Hope you have a great week ahead and keep Michaeling. Michael on.